Welcome back to On the Mic with Mike Peters. My guest this week is Cass Smiley, the founder of the Before You Die Comedy Festival in Anchorage, Alaska. Cass started doing stand-up in 2009 and is one of the most interesting people I've ever met. She is absolutely full of stories to tell. We talked all about the festival, which starts on Wednesday, April 6th, and goes through Sunday, April 10th. She's got 17 shows over five days with more than 55 comedians performing. It's going to be nuts. Amy Miller and Brandy Posey are headlining, and tickets are on sale now, so go get them. You're going to love Cass Smiley. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Set up the Patreon. It's only $5 a month. You can also follow Homebrewed Comedy on Facebook or go to homebrewedcomedy.com to see all of my dates. Thanks so much. I'll talk to you guys next week. Take care. Peeling back my sunburnt skin I'll wait outside your bedroom I, I hope they let me in Thank you so much for doing this. I, I, uh, I appreciate you opening up your office space for me. Yeah, definitely. No, I'm a big fan. I've uh, been listening to the podcast for a little while. It's fun to hear all the different people you interview. And every time I know someone, I'm like, hey, I know that guy. So. That's so weird. Uh, thank you, by the way. But I mean, it's just weird how small the comedy scene is because I don't know what we are, like 4,000 miles away from each other. But like we know so many of the same people. Yeah, it's so it's weird. I heard like uh, I don't remember who was interviewing or who Rogan was interviewing, but Rogan was saying something about I think there's only like a thousand standups in the whole world, and it made me chuckle quite a bit. Maybe at like his level or like in that general area, we're like you know that that echelon of comic. But um, there was a, a weird point in my life, like in the early days of Facebook, like in like the 2010s, where I would if you had a microphone in your hand, I was friending you. I wanted yeah. to know where you lived, what scene you were in. I tried to make as many like virtual friends as possible because of where I'm geolocated in Alaska. It's impossible. You know, there's no roads that just drive out of here. Yeah. Where do you go? Like if you're, if you're like bored of Alaska, you can't drive anywhere really. Right. I mean, obviously. No, well you, you can, you can drive in and out on this thing called the Alcan highway, which goes, it'll stretch all the way from uh, the border of Alaska down through Canada. And then it ends up, you know, all different routes but like it essentially it's a four or five day trek of travel to do it that way and you'd have to really have a lot of like international connections in like canada to make it worthwhile to do like a road trip down so a lot of comics here will end up just flying out to places seattle is the closest cheapest so is the seattle scene worth going for like three or four days I think so. Yeah. It depends on who, you know, and like what's going on there. I did a small like DIY run where I kind of did like a little, uh, green triangle. So I went from Anchorage down to Seattle and then picked up a car and then drove all the way down to like, uh, Idaho did the Coeur d'Alene Boise area and then kind of swooped back uh, West and went back to Portland and did all that. So it was just kind of just three states. But within that, I had, I don't know, 10 gigs lined up, a bunch of couches to sleep on. And it was all like indie DIY bar rooms and stuff or like coffee shops, backyards. I think one of the things I like most about doing standup is like, is that indie scene where like I know, like I produce a lot and I've got all of my equipment in the trunk of my car. So like, yeah. if I need to, like if a show breaks out, I'm good. And Oh, yeah, that's exactly it. I just love it. And like, you know, you can sleep on a couch. Uh, I, I, I did a show in Utica one time, which is like two hours north of mine or me. And my car broke down and my buddy's like, screw it, man. I'll drive you home. 
Cause I, you know, I'm attached to my cats. I was like, ah, they don't know how to fend without me. And he just did that. And it's like, I don't know. It kind of like anything goes like whatever we need to do to make the show go. We're going to do it. Yeah. That's all there is in Alaska. There is no like club uh, scene here. There is no infrastructure at all. Comedy has existed here. As long as Alaska has been a state, there's been like different types of reviews and showcases and things, but they're all grassroots DIY invented by someone who loves comedy or came from a background in another state of comedy. Like, so for me, my start was I started in Anchorage at this club called Coots, Chilkoot Charlie's, the world famous. It has a reputation because people would come up to Alaska to just get away and write jokes and run, run gigs. But there was a couple promoters who were well-connected. So they would have great comics come through like Bill Burr and Doug Stanhope and Mitch Hedberg. And they'd just come up for a week to disappear into the wilderness. And that's cool. So it creates this kind of mini infrastructure at this one little place. And then um, I had this mentor who ended up being Doug Stanhope's road manager, Greg Shaley. And Greg Shaley started our open mic for us, set up the way it runs, taught a bunch of us like, you know, this is what a comedy show should look like. And so our scene has just kind of persisted on like this word of mouth, hand down traditions from these people who had a little bit more experience than us. And we've kind of tried to keep it going. There's only a handful of us, though. There's like 30, 30 to 40 comics at any given time. Everyone kind of self-produces their own stuff, you know, uh, goes to another town, tells their jokes there, comes back. Very rarely does a comic, like, leave Alaska and become, like, actually successful enough to never come back. A lot of us have left and come crawling back, but it's a hard state to uh, officially leave from. There's a lot of people who come up here and then they never leave, ever. I know my dad had an opportunity. I think it was in the, I think it was the eighties, maybe early nineties. He had an opportunity to take a job at a college somewhere in Alaska. And the only reason he didn't was because he didn't want to uproot the family that my parents go to Alaska before the pandemic uh, every year. And they rave about how gorgeous it is. Juno. Basically my parents, I think I'm convinced that they go on these cruises just to get new clothing. (laughs) because <laughs> they they have alaska shirts they've got an alaskan flag that they they fly in their house and my that's, mom, okay stolen valor yeah yeah basically <laughs> my mom for a while she had like the weather for anchorage on her phone and i'm like you don't have the weather for binghamton no just so she can feel better about her life she's like look at how <laughs> shitty it is up there today oh they would yeah she'd be like hey it's it's 43 degrees in anchorage i'm like I don't care. Yeah, at least it's not snowing, and you're like, Ugh, okay, well. Right. Well, we get the snow at least. No, I'll tell you, Alaska's so big that I have lived here my entire life, and I've never been to Juneau, really? which is the capital. You can't drive there. There's a lot of towns that I, I will say, full disclosure, Juneau is totally worth visiting. It's lovely. It's the capital. A lot of our political stuff is there. Great people, great food. So I've heard. <laughs> Maybe right. one day I'll get to experience it. But there's also a lot of towns in Alaska where everyone's like, never fucking go there. Do not step foot in that place at all. Fairbanks is one of those places. So I've lived here my whole life and also never driven the 600 miles north to go to Fairbanks because people are like, why? Just don't. I think for a long time, I believe it's Fairbanks. They had the Midnight Classic baseball game. Yes, they play baseball. Yeah. And I remember reading probably a Jeff Passan piece in Yahoo, like, I don't know, 13 years ago about that. And I was like, oh, I want to go to Alaska. But I would have no idea how far it was away from anything. So yeah, it's, it's up you, there. If you're saying that it's six hours to Juneau, six hours to Fairbanks, 
Yikes. Yeah, you can fly into Fairbanks like directly, but I think the thing that keeps people away from Fairbanks is like the weather. It's really extreme. It's hard to live there if you want to be an emotionally stable person <laughs> because the the weather is nuts. Like in the wintertime, it can get down to like anywhere between 40 and 50 below to the point where it is a tradition that the college students there up at UAF, they strip down into their Speedos and bikinis and they'll go out and take a picture in front of this sign in like this freezing, freezing temperature just to say that they've done it. Uh, and then in the summertime, the heat can get anywhere up to like 100 degrees. Oh, my Lord. Um, yeah, it's really weird just the way it's geolocated up in the middle of the state. It's it's really, really close to the sun, I guess. It's just nuts. And I don't think I could emotionally handle that. The farther you get north, the more you're like, you get blasted with sunlight during the summer. And then it gets like taken away from you in the wintertime. So you have to have like a real mental fortitude to live anywhere close to the Arctic line up there. It's nuts. Do you think that would make, I mean, just living in Alaska, do you think that would make for a good comedian, like the brain? In my experience, no, not at all. It makes for like a really good damaged person, which I guess is kind of like the baseline for being a comic. And then there's, you know, all the extra work that goes into it, like writing jokes, producing, you know, all the Instagram stories and stuff you have to make. But like, I don't think that the Alaskan life is the utmost conducive atmosphere to that. It does create eccentric, wonderfully fucked up people. And like, you can tell it on them. You can even see it. It's like a stink. And you can see the stink lines just like wafting off them from yards away. There were a real special brand of mental illness here, for sure. (laughs) And like, the thing everyone forgets about Alaska is that very few people are actually from here. And that it's one of those places where people... Um, gather from all over the world. Like I am a born Alaskan. I am technically native to Alaska, but I'm not an Alaskan native. So we have like a really large populace uh, of indigenous people here too. And uh, it's it's really weird watching a, a place be like actively colonized uh, by people. And a lot of our politicians are all people who aren't from here. They've all flown in from Louisiana or New York or Ohio or some other, and they make a family and then they get elevated to office. So it's a really strange amalgamation of people. And it's very diverse too. Alaska is one of the most diverse states in the union, even though we're so far away. It's just a real trip. So it's it's weird to like get to tell jokes here because you never know what you're going to get on a given basis on, on a night to night. It could be anything. And then the farther away from your home base, like for me, the farther away from Anchorage I get, and the more I go up north towards like Nome or Fairbanks, it's like being in a completely different country. So it's very strange. How long have you been doing stand-up? Uh, I've been doing stand-up off and on since 2009. Uh, yeah, and I say off and on because like it's hard here because like there's not that base where you can get just get in a car and go. Um, and then the shows, there's not as many shows here. We can we're lucky if we get like you know one or two, sometimes three opportunities a week to go on stage. So it's weird. If you want to be a good comic from Alaska, you almost definitely have to leave and go somewhere else. That sucks. It does suck, but there's some really funny people who have come out of this stink hole like uh, Becky Bronstein and Jessica Michelle Singleton. And then of course, like the almighty Dan Mintz, um, Bob's burgers. He's from West high Alaska. So the thing is just like, you got to commit to never looking back, I guess. I almost applied to a job in Hawaii. And the hard part I heard is coming back from the Island. Like once you leave there, but they're not going to pay for like, they'll pay for you to get out there, but nobody's paying for you to get back. Like when you leave that oh i see so it's just like a tourism thing and they're like ah it's vocational tourism pretty much yeah and like I, so i don't know like i when i left my house when i was like 22 i moved from new york to pennsylvania 
so I could drive back in the weekend. If I had gone from Pennsylvania to Hawaii, there's no way I'm coming back for the weekend. I'm kind of yeah, scared. totally. And I'm when I, I similar for Alaska. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And to the fact, like when I did cho- like choose to finally leave, and I was like, all right, I'm gonna. I'm going to gather up all my resources and I'm going to leave my big old nest up here in Alaska and go down to the, the lower 48, as we affectionately refer to you all as. Sometimes I say the, the lesser 48. I want to feel better about myself. My ex-boyfriend at the time also stand up. His family had family in Erie. So we moved from Anchorage to Erie, Pennsylvania. Wow. And boy, was that a fucking mistake, you know? But I didn't know. I just thought, oh, it's the big, t- big, big state big cities. There's got to be comedy everywhere. I had no clue that there really wasn't comedy within like a hundred miles of Erie. Uh, it took no open mics really like juniors wasn't really doing stuff there at the time. So it was hard to get in on shows, but then I was forced to drive from up and down the Rust Belt from Cleveland up and down to Buffalo and back. And I met the nicest people. And, uh, those are the relationships I've been able to keep. And then they're the ones that kind of keep on giving too, because meet these comics in these towns. And now that I'm producing and running a comedy festival in Anchorage, it's easy for them to know me and then they can help me spread the word. And it's nice to be able to get like cool people to tell cool people about the thing that we're doing up here. Well, that's how I know about the Before You Die Festival because uh, John Lockwood from Buffalo. and Johnny Locks. Brian Netzel. And yeah, guys, I love those guys. Those guys raved about it. So I'm like, oh, okay. So I looked into it too. And I, I, I snoozed on everything uh, over the last couple of years about like, you know, uh, applying. But sure. I've, heard, I've heard great, great things about that festival. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, the, those guys were so nice to me when I first showed up in Buffalo as like a complete wacky outsider. I had no, I, no, I knew no people. Um, they were super nice, helped me get in at like some of the clubs there. And so then when I ran the festival, they were like, sure, we'll come up and see what comedy is like where you're at. And then I kind of shit my pants a little because, you know, there's no club scene here. So right. you invite a bunch of comics up here and they, I hope they don't expect that they're going to be walking into like a laugh factory or a helium or something similar. Cause we don't have that infrastructure. Luckily, like they're not, and they're only interested in that full Alaskan experience, which is really cool. Cause that's a, that's all I can offer them. I can, I can show you coots and, and like show you around and tell you why it was named one of Playboy's 50 most important bars in America it's pretty easy to see. It's like, it's got a, like a legendary feel. So if I can just help like more comics around the world, get to like cross Alaska off their bucket list and then get to experience like my home bar. And I'm totally thrilled. I love that. Uh, it's one of my favorite, <laughs> favorite things to get to watch somebody experience coots for the first time. Cause it's, a, it's a whole nother planet really. And it's just like debauchery central and you know, nobody leaves coots the same. So David Tell did like a really great special where he did Insomniac in Anchorage and he did a run at Coots. So if you want like a little taste of what it's like, just watch that old Attell episode where he's up in Anchorage. Well, I know I first learned about it in Stanhope's book. I forget which book it was. But uh, yeah, Digging Up Mother. No, I don't think that's what it was. Titles and sound right. Maybe it was. Oh, the this is not fame. Yeah, I don't know. It, it was a couple years yeah. ago. Yeah. And uh, I I'm surprised I remember that I read a book, honestly. <laughs> but, uh, no, I, but I, I heard about it there and by, from Stanhope. And I think, well, Stanhope is talking about it. There's probably debauchery that went along with it. Just the craziest stories. I, when I first started doing open mic, the, the system, there was like a cast system. And the more you could like work to help and build the scene and the, the more you proved yourself as a comic, just like any other scene, I imagine the more perks you get. And so once you prove that you're trustworthy, then you can start doing like feature spots. And 
I started working with these headliners and I started driving them around town and stuff. And like, I've seen some of the wildest shit. I've seen snow, uh, comics like get so wasted that they couldn't finish their set. And then they just kind of wander off into the night and then they're like, that's it guys. All right. Good show. And then, you know, an hour later, it's like, well, where'd Gino go? I don't know. Where's Gino? And Gino's fucking face down in the snowbank, like <laughs> passed out on the side of the street. But then everyone from the bar is like so loving and nice. Like all they want to do is um, just kill you with kindness and liquor. It's a full on adventure. And then I've seen some like wild shows too, where one time we had Paul Hooper up for um, St. Patty's Day. And we have a St. Patty's Day tradition where this, uh, I don't know, the group of bagpipers all get together and they walk around and they go through all the bars in town and they we have that play one song and walk around and then they get out. And Paul Hooper's like 30 minutes into his set and then all of a sudden like super loud bagpipes just burst around the corner. And Paul's got like like an OCD to the point where he he doesn't like feeling like certain things are out of control. So it's just like the most like random thing that happens to the the one comic who it really shouldn't be happening to. But it's like so funny. You can't control yourself. Stupid, silly shit like that. Doug is like one of the best people as a Coots ambassador, though, because like he really is like royalty there. I was on stage doing an open mic once and I was halfway through my set and I saw the daylight come shooting in because in Anchorage, you know, it could be eight o'clock at night. It's still very bright outside. Yeah. And the daylight comes through the door and all of a sudden it's, uh, you know, three guys in 70s leisure suits walking towards the stage. And yeah, Doug just showed up randomly, flew all the way up from Arizona just to crash our bar and go to our mic. And then you could see all the, the open micers run around just shitting their pants, freaking out. Oh, stand up here. Oh, God. I got to write better jokes. And then suddenly re-scribbling all their notes. And I'm currently on stage just kind of like, you know, doing my thing. I finish, I get off and go to the next guy. And I go, oh, sorry, you have to do jokes right in front of Stanhope. And then he eats shit because he's too nervous. Stanhope goes up, crushes. It does only five minutes because he's a nice gentleman who doesn't like to eat up anybody's time. He knows the rules. And then the next guy who goes up just totally eats a dick because he can't, they just can't fathom it. Even though he's like our Uncle Doug. And we sit around a bar and talk to him. And he's so, so nice. Uh, Don so, Johnson from Buffalo has a story about that too. Uh, he's my, he, the best. He, he came into a bar in Buffalo where they did the open mic oh, and just kind of held court. And yeah. he walked up there and just he like watched somebody do stand up and and they're like, "We're not no, <laughs> like you're Doug Stanhope." <laughs> and like I don't know what I would do. I'd be like, "All right, I, I'm just gonna watch you tonight. I'll I'll throw in the towel for this week." But I I don't know. He's he's so great. That, he heckled me once. Man, I thought I was I was doing big things. I was fresh out of Alaska, and Brett Erickson, who's also part of that killer termites, Doug Stanhope crew, the Untouchables or the Unbookables, he uh, sent me a message saying, "Come do my show down in LA." So I, I'm on stage, and I I have to hurry up with the show so I can leave to go back and catch my flight. And I'm rushing through my jokes, and I kind of like stumbling a little bit. Not the best set, mainly because right in front of me is Brett and Doug, both just drinking, cheersing. Stanhope's yelling shit at me while I'm on stage. Just, I don't know how in the bag he is or not. And he's just, so then I, I go into my closer and I'm like, you know, halfway through. And then he yells out the punchline to my bit. Oh no. And just, and I'm like, oh, what do I do? And I immediately like freak out and scramble and get off stage and then um, gather up my stuff and I'm getting ready to go get my Uber. I'm out on the curb and he comes out to smoke a cigarette. And I'm like, hey, Doug. And he's like, hey, great set in there. Uh, but, you know, your closer was much funnier when I wrote it 15 years ago. Oh, no. And I was like, what? And then he's like, yeah. And he explains why his bit was better and the nuances. And I was like, I've got to admit, 100% he's right. It's a better bit. <laughs> so it's funny. It's just, he's that kind of dude. He'll, he'll like, 
he'll cut you in a second, but also like lovingly build you back up and do anything for you. Like he's, I call him uncle Doug. Cause like anytime uh, he comes around to hang out, he's just like the nicest dude. And he always just looking out for everybody. That whole crew of people is just some of the nicest, like comedy people you'll ever meet. If you ever get a chance to go hang out with uh, the killer termite crew in Bisbee, I highly, highly recommend it. I met Doug one time. It was just a meet and greet. He did a, I think it was a Monday show at the Funny Bone in Syracuse. And he sold it out in like, what, three minutes. And he was so great. And we walked over afterward, just said hi. He took pictures of everybody. Just seems like a great guy. He is. I think what's great about him, and like, he's my kind of comedian, I think, because He's, he is very honest, and uh, a lot of it is just, like, him being a, a, a lighthouse for, like, really fucked up weirdos, and I like the, those kind of comics. I like comics that make other misfit people feel like they have a community, and I feel like comedy, like other art forms, is getting a lot more secular like that, and uh, there's a lot of podcasts, you know, they've got these different, like, podcast agencies and crews. It's, like, it's, it's almost like a little comedy gang war that's going on. It's like, well, what crew do you rep? Who are you messing with? So I tend to gravitate towards comics who are weird miscreants, but they're also like really lovable and like all about community and like building people up as opposed to like tearing people down. I think like there's like a fine balance and Doug does it like just perfectly. I don't understand why anybody would try to tear somebody down, especially like like, at my level, like, like I'm six years in and I'm trying to foster a good scene. It makes no sense for me to tear down another comedian. Well, especially at our level, but like eventually you can parlay that into like a specific brand, right? So there's people like, you know, I hate to pick on the ladies, but like Kathy Griffin and uh, Lisa Lampanelli to begin with. And as long as I guess you have this idea of what you're picking on people equally, then it it doesn't get uh, to be a problem. I feel like that kind of comedy is like slowly fading away as like people become more, dare I say the word, sensitive to things. And they're demanding more of like, a PC culture, for lack of a better term. I think people are just like tired of hearing marginalized people get fucked with. So they're like, hey, can we just talk about anything else? And I think that's part of why I started booking a comedy festival too, is because then I get to sift through all these submission videos and pick through these points of views and decide, me and my committee, we will decide like, what do you think our town would like to fuck with? Like our friends, what do we think is funny? What are we laughing at? And then that way we're like picking specific voices that we feel like would help our town out and like also like what we want to see in the community too because like here i said it's very diverse but the comedy scene here not so diverse like we only have two or three queer comedians or like one black comedian so it's like the voices you're hearing on a weekly basis in our comedy community are very white very male a lot of them not stoked with their wives it's just like the same shit over and over again so i'm excited to import some like really fun comedy yeah i don't know why i've always gravitated towards like people who are like anarchists and fucking weird and they're punk rock and they're uh, dirty and like maybe they're like messed up they're damaged they're drug addicts or whatever but they're always like really nice people i don't know are you into punk rock oh yeah i love love it Uh, but i have to say i'm like kind of uh, a newbie though because i didn't really have the access to it until recently and now i'm kind of going through and picking what i like so i just i just found out about bad religion like three years ago people are like what the fuck is wrong with you wow what do you mean? Like punk rock didn't come to Alaska until like 2019? It did, but I guess it just didn't like touch me specifically. I had an older brother who was into punk rock, but he was also more into like hip hop. So I feel like I got a, lo- a lot more of that. And then uh, one of the local comics here got me hooked on no effects. And then oh, that really like fired my brain up because I really like political rock. So I was like, oh, okay, yeah. 
Yeah. So I, I think, man, it, well, Green Day for me in 95, I think is when I got into it. Cause I was like radio guy, like, like deep blue something's breakfast at Tiffany's was my favorite song for like a year. Uh, yes. And I came up with Hootie and the Blowfish and, and the Gin Blossoms and they're fine bands, but I heard Basket Case from Green Day. I'm like, oh, let me see this. And then Offspring came out and Sublime. And, and I wore that Smash record out. I played oh, Smash so good. all the time. Oh, so good. But no, I got into, like no effects, I think in 2000. No, it would have been 90, 98, I think. 98. And uh, I heard they suck live and so long. Thanks for all the shoes. Got those yes. Records. And then Bad Religion didn't come for another couple of years because I think I bought the used albums and just stored them away. And then when I got to college, I started listening to, I think, The Grey Race and no, uh, New America. But I would say No Effects and Bad Religion might be the two most important punk rock bands, uh, I would say, in the 80s, 90s. Just yeah. because they, they kickstarted so many other bands. I agree. I don't know what draws me to them other than like they very political minded, kind of an- same thing, anarchist, kind of yeah. like nihilistic, but like still really good people. Like if you listen to Kyoto now, that song's about fucking climate change yeah. in the 90s. <laughs> you know, like they did the idea of Greg Graffin like using his like folk singer tools of writing political songs and then forming this band to like put them out into the world. That really drives me a lot. Like I started off doing comedy because I was a failed folk singer. All I wanted to do was write little folk songs and be like Ani DeFranco light and then go to these coffee houses and play. And then hopefully I'd get to like go live in my car and travel around the country and play my little guitar. And then one time I wrote a song about my friend getting a hooker at a bar and all of a sudden like, boom, now you do comedy. Come sing your funny song at this show. And then here's how to write a joke. So I don't even think I wanted at first to start off being a stand-up comic. I always wanted to just be a musician and play politically relevant songs, like something that would like get people to stop at the bar and like listen and maybe like think about shit other than like what they're doing on a day-to-day. But then I found out like, oh, comedy is the same thing, but you just don't have to lug a guitar everywhere and sound yeah. guys don't fucking hate your guts. So Yeah, I really think the, the through line between punk rock and comedy are very distinct. We don't take ourselves too seriously. Uh, we can joke about pretty much anything. Uh, even the even the messages we say on stage, we're throwing humor at them. I mean, there's something yeah. going on there. And and like you take a band like No Effects, same deal. They've got a song called "72 Hookers," where it's genius. It's such. And they lead off the album. It's it's the self titled album, and it, it's all about how how people are killing themselves for the promise of 72 virgins. If we could just employ some sex workers. Yeah, yeah. Everybody gets blowjobs, there'll be less war. Fat Mike and those guys, uh, they get their messages through with humor. And Yeah, definitely. And I can't imagine that that punk scene, I can't imagine there's a whole lot of infighting and outward spite toward anybody. I think for the most part, you, you see a, a festival going on. They all look like they're having fun with each other. Oh, yeah. I, uh, one of the, my comedian friends who lives here is like the biggest no effects fan ever. He's, they, he was in his own punk band called uh, Stuntcock. And it was one of the funnest bands in Anchorage for a while. And uh, he got diagnosed with like a cancer or something. And then he had some other thing going on and he was like, I'm going to die, man. So I took him. I was like, you're, you're not dying before we go see your band. So we all went and flew down to go see Punk and Drublick oh, wow. the first year that it happened down in Huntington Beach. Uh, and it was so fun. We just saw these bands. I, I was in my first like bad religion circle pit where I got punched in my titty and uh, <laughs> had the biggest titty bruise. But it was so worth it because I could say I had street cred. Finally, it's a rite of passage. It was. And then uh, it was just the best time ever. 
my friend, he like, he had, he has like bone cancer. So he had to get one of his toes removed. So he only has nine toes. And uh, we took him to go get a pedicure. Cause I just wanted to see the look on the lady's <laughs> face when she, and I, I was filming the whole time. We're trying to make this little like mini like a uh, video. And this lady didn't even bat an eye. She grabbed up the toe and it didn't exist. And then she kind of looked down and was like, eh. and you could see that she had seen some shit in like a war or something because she didn't care at all <laughs> yeah and it was very and then we went and got tattoos and he got a little tattoo over the top of his foot that said gone to market his oh, little piggy awesome. was missing yeah it was it's fun that's the kind of shit that i live for so like i gravitate towards those kind of bands and comedians and stuff this like do diy like i don't know i don't like the idea of anyone taking themselves too seriously and i feel like in comedy there's a lot of that because it's a fine line between like complete delusion and then complete self-deprecation of not believing you can do anything or believing that you are unfettered to do everything. Um, So how do you find that like balance of like actually knowing what your status is, like what your actual like pull is to, for lack of a better word. I don't know. I feel even more distorted because living in Alaska, you have no concept of what things are in the real world. Like, you know, you already feel like you live on a different planet especially when it comes to comedy stuff, you know, the bookers here, we, they book people, but who knows what they're paying them or what the bases are. We're not going off of what's happening in the lower 48. You know, you can probably move to Alaska with the chops you have as like a feature comic or a road headliner who hasn't really broken through yet. And you could clean up here forever. You could move uh, into Wasilla and then just drive around all the different cities or host like a, a one or two night showcase and, you know, make your rent within like a, a week or two. There's a lot of venues here that have no clue what to pay for comedy and they will pay way too much <laughs> for something they don't even know the, the value of. That's good to know. Because uh, if I ever yeah. go to rooms in New York, I'm going to Alaska. Yeah. Well, I've been telling people, like a lot of people hit me up asking where to go here and I'll try to connect them. You know, there's a couple different independent people uh, and some of, most of us talk and we're very friendly. So you can kind of do the different cities. We make like a little circuit um, there's a guys, there's a couple of dudes up in Fairbanks who book larger acts. Like they book Doug Benson and every once in a while, like every year they have a festival where they book a pretty famous comedian to come and, and do like a workshop. So basically like a week long comedy class where you get to hang out with like Doug Benson and Doug Benson teaches right. you what he knows. So it's a little different model. And then at the end of the week, they put on a couple showcases where these people can go up and work with Doug Benson or whoever. I think the last one they had was Paul Rodriguez. And it's it's very cool uh, what they do. And I'm glad that they are giving the town of Fairbanks something to do. But it's definitely not like what a normal comedy festival would be. Not in my experience anyway. And then I'm trying to make my festival as far away from what a normal comedy festival experience is. Because the ones I've had were a little rough. And it's hard to fly. If in my case, I had to fly thousands of miles to go to Grand Rapids to do nine minutes in one showcase and it's not very sold out because they have 10 other shows that day at laugh fest, you know, make it worth it for me to fly there and be the chick from Alaska that you want to have on your lineup. And so my goal with Alaska before you die fest was like, how do I make it worth it to fly? You know, these people are already flying in. Like what, what can we provide? So we do like a housing deal and we go sightseeing and we go hiking up mountains and, you know, take a big party bus out in the middle of nowhere and drink beer with some wolves and shit. <laughs> yeah, you can't offer that anywhere else. Right. Well, yeah, if, if I can help roll it all up into one package, then it's more of like a vacation experience with some comedy. It's like big, dumb summer camp. When do you start doing the festival? You're, you're in what? Is it five or six years? 
No, this is this would be technically its third year, but we took a we took a hiatus. Actually, no. Oh my goodness, this would be its fourth year. We started in 2019, and then in 2020 we had everything planned out. And about a week and a half before the date of the festival, COVID shut everything down. Of course. And then that was a big bummer and had to cancel everything. But everybody was uh, booked and ready to go. So I had, you know, 30, 40 different comics with flight vouchers who all wanted to come back. And then we took a year off for 2021 so that COVID could kind of take a breather and calm down. I don't like the idea of putting anyone's health at risk in the community, let alone um, like in the comedy community, because people are relying on their body for gigs. Like I, I, I fully know that people are willing to travel, but I, for me, I'm like, I don't want to ruin your month of gigs and paid work because you wanted to come hang out. And Alaska's COVID numbers are terrible. So we waited until uh, this year to say that we're like finally pulling the trigger again. And I'm glad we did because our numbers are finally starting to go down now and it seems a bit safer. So what was the goal? I mean, obviously you want everybody to have a good time, but like what made you say, okay, I'm going to start the festival. Uh, spite. <laughs> that is my number one motivating factor. Spite. It's not normally for me, but I had like a really bad experience once. I've had many bad experiences, but I flew myself. You know, like, have you ever dated a comedian? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, com- we're broken people and we tend to like gravitate toward each other. And it, it, there's a lot of like inner, inner uh, dating and in, inside comics world. But there's a comedian I, I really liked and I followed from Los Angeles and I got like infatuated with them and I built up a relationship in my head and flew myself all the way to Los Angeles to go be with this dude. And we spent the weekend together and it was really, really great. The worst part is, is that I knew this dude had herpes, right? Yeah. And I was like, I will love you anyway. And I will do anything I can to not get it. But if I get it, so what? Because you're just so cool and you are worth it. And then I ended up giving myself herpes on my birthday. Oh, no. Which is a terrible white girl thing to do. Like, why did you do that? <laughs> that is so stupid. And then I felt really sad. And I ended up like um, trying to like talk myself down out of this like depression which in turn, like, you know, triggered him to be depressed and sad about the whole thing. So we ended up like not speaking for a while and it was not great. But the long story short is I was like, how do I get this person back in my life? He's a comedian. Ah, I will build a, a festival. And if you build it, they will come. Right. Hopefully more ways than one. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, so that was kind of it. It was like, yeah, I'll do this thing. And then the word spread around to so many fun people that I knew it ended up becoming a bigger thing than it was. But really it's born out of the idea of like suicidal depression. Like I got herpes and I thought my best asset, my pussy was ruined. And I was like, that's it. I'm done for. I can't live anymore. Like I can't believe I'm screaming about this in a coffee shop right now. Oh, it's fine. By the way. They love (laughs) this old women. Like what she said. (laughs) Festival. you say? Oh yeah. I just felt like really sad. And I was like, I'm going to totally bite it. I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to drive my car off a cliff or like go walk out onto the mud flats and just like sink into the ocean. And instead I was like, well, what's one thing I want to do before I die? And then it was this idea of a comedy festival and my drunk friend and I, comedian friend, were talking about it. Then the next time we hung out, he was also drunk saying it was his idea that he thought of. And I was like, (laughs) oh, no, 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 sweetie. So I pulled the trigger and just started it because I didn't want him to take my idea. (laughs) That's outstanding. Yeah. And like, it's this weird operation where I kind of work mostly by myself. I have like, you know, my little AK comedy community and we work together. Um, we call ourselves the AK comics, we're like a little collective 
of people and we just kind of help each other out with all our shows. And it's nice to have just like a little family of people. And then they're all invested in helping with the festival because it brings so many opportunities to us that we would never normally get. So they're all willing to give up like a week's worth of stage time to watch some other people tell jokes and get to hang out with people who they could later go sleep on their couch, you know, if they go on a lower 48 run. I would think one of the biggest parts, uh, perks rather, about being in a festival is creating that networking opportunity. So like, yeah. yeah, so if you do go do a show in Grand Rapids, you know some people. Like that was the best part about going to Grand Rapids. The show was not great. It had the potential to be super great. But, you know, Laugh Fest does like 20 shows a day for like two weeks. They end up running like 150 shows. It's bananas what they do. But the best part about it was meeting the local comics from Grand Rapids. And I still have a friend who they invited me right to their studio. We went to the liquor store, walking around with Red Bulls, just on the street, just getting drunk out on the streets of Grand Rapids, having a good time with Kara and her friends. And now I get to see what they do and what what spots they're on. And I know if I'm ever in town again, all I have to do is hit her up and she'll help me find something. I think that also is just like a nice thing that comics do that we don't have to, but we know how shitty it is to go through this. And so like the little fraternity of people that creates this nice atmosphere for everyone all across the country. It's so nice. Like today I saw like a comic that everybody knows, like she got her car smashed up and uh, it's not her car. It's her house. Like it's how she travels. It's how she makes her living. And now she's got to start from zero, but within hours, people in the comedy community were already helping her get like a rental car, helping her with her insurance stuff. You know, just the idea that we're willing to drop what we're doing and help people. It's a, quite the opposite of what most people would think a comic is. I have given so many rides to so many people and their car, same thing with me. If my car is out of commission, somebody will pick me up and yeah. they want the show to happen. And I want, as a producer, I want my opener to be there. So yeah, I'll drive 20 minutes out of my way to pick you up because ultimately stand up is a one-on-one sport, but you need a lineup. You need a team. So yeah. the show doesn't work. Unless you have all of its members. Yeah, I agree. I'm invested in helping people get opportunities that have nothing to do with me. Yeah. Like, uh, it doesn't matter. I just want to see people winning. Yeah, one of my favorite things about producing is creating that networking opportunity. Like, I did for, God, I think it lasted two or three years. I did a, a women's show. And I would connect somebody from Rochester, New York, to Scranton, Pennsylvania. And they're four hours away from each other. They're likely not going to book the other for a show. They wouldn't organically find them at least. But yeah. if they're meeting in the middle in Binghamton, New York, then maybe they'll they'll know each other and work with each other later. So just as a producer, that's one of my favorite things. Like, that's good. I, I can play the complimentary role here. Yeah. I got nervous when you said, I did a women's show or I do a women's <laughs> show. I was like, what does one, that mean? One. I actually did. Uh, right before the pandemic, it was the, the last show. It would have been, I think, March 14th of 2020. I had a women's show planned and it was five women and the headliner couldn't come up. And then one by one, they all dropped. And oh, no. one person, the feature, uh, she planned on doing it. So I was like, all right, well, I'll host. And then uh, the host of that show was going to feature. And then the, that feature slash host dropped. And I'm like, okay, I did 25 minutes up front. The headline, the new headliner did an hour. And I'm like, okay, I, uh, that was my my last women's show I'll ever do, or at least uh, they all 
for Formon. Yeah, they, they all dropped out because their cycles probably synced up. So that's probably what it was. Yeah, wacka wacka hack <laughs> joke. But like, like I obviously I couldn't I couldn't be mad. I'm like, all right, well, you know, a pandemic is approaching. So no, yeah, but then it's like an all female lineup. Like that's it's ballsy to even run a show like that these days. It's like pioneering in some places. Uh, yeah, that was the only one that was going for a little while, and I, I really liked it, but. What I liked most about it was the, I always thought the audiences were better there because they were just, it was mostly women, but they were like, finally, for us, we can, we can relate to everything they're saying. We don't have to listen to, you know, half the set being about somebody's dick. So I was like, okay, that, that was kind of fun to watch. Yeah, it's amazing how many other things there are to talk about besides dicks. I know. Although there are so many few I've been on all female shows where the majority of what we're talking about is still dicks. Like that is (laughs) and I I've been on a bunch of all female lineups that made me feel a little strange. Like I, I, the internalized uh, anti-feminism is is in there because I'm like, I don't know, four, five women. That's a lot of ladies up there, and it makes me feel some type of way. I'm not. I I guess I'm of the old guard where I'm like, we should at least have one guy, just one. Right. Make it equal. You know. Yeah. Make him do the work. Maybe I don't (laughs) lift things. Somebody yeah, the speaker. Somebody has to say what the sponsors are and <laughs> what time the next show is. I don't know. Yeah, but there's a lot of good female comics too. Like like Jessica Michelle Singleton is great. She whenever she comes to town because she's really good about coming back every year or so to visit family. And when she does, she'll come sell out a show or two and just crush it. She's always really good about finding female comics in town and making sure that her lineup is stacked with people. She gives no shits she's not scared of anything she just wants to help promote like funny funny women so there's more of us and that's nice because it doesn't happen very often especially not up here Uh, in alaska women are outnumbered almost eight to one so So you're running you're running 17 shows in that festival right yeah this year we ended up with 17 i told myself i wasn't going to do more than 10 because i'm still very leery about covid safety and i don't win shows uh but yeah we ended up with 17 which is a lot how do you keep that straight um it depends on well, the, my method, I don't want to give too much info away because I don't want anyone to really know that I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> um, but my main method is like, you know, everybody here, we work in a comedy collective, the AK Comics, and everyone, for the most part, there's like a set people, a set number of folks, they have their own shows that they produce around town. So they already have a venue locked in. So on any given night, you know, you've got a Monday night show here and a Wednesday night show at this bar and then a Thursday night show. And so I've already got the hosts producing those. So I just tap into those people and I say, Hey, can I just fold your show in? And then those offer my festival different venues. So I'm basically hijacking the entire comedy infrastructure that we've already put in place only for the week of that festival. And then those comedians who are producing and hosting those shows, you know, that's what they get. They're getting that ability to produce and host the shows as part of this festival. Uh, They get total control over the lineup and the way that their show functions. I can't physically be at 17 places, especially two shows at once. So it's important for me to have my little like safety net of uh, family who can do it for themselves. So it's really nice. Like this, this year I have some comics who are returning. So the Buffalo boys, Johnny Lockwood and Edo and all those guys, they're coming up for a second year. Not normally something that festivals offer. Once you've come, you know, we kind of have to like say no, because there's so many people who want that spot. And this year, uh, I was already committed to having a set number of people because I said yes to them in 2020. But the pandemic took that away. 
So I wanted to make sure that opportunity was still available. But this year, uh, those people are going on a road trip to a, a town that's like 60 miles north of us to a little hippie town. So I'm putting them in a car with somebody who I know can produce the shit out of a show. And then they're going to go just DIY that show all under the name of the festival. So each of the shows will look a little different. They're not all going to be the same. Um, the ones at Coots, for the most part, are like, you know, uniformed. I'll be there running all of those. But that's kind of how I've been keeping it straight in these two years that we've done the festival. It's just easier to have the help with the committee, like helping plan things. And then it becomes more of like an entity. Like I've been planning this one mostly by myself and I am tired. <laughs> Is it hard for you to give away some of the control? Yes, tremendously. I, as I think just me personally, I don't have, I got a weird traumatic background with like family issues that lets it, it's hard for me to relinquish control of most tasks. I don't like to ask for help. A lot of times when I do ask for help, I'll get a quality of product that I don't necessarily feel like is up to my standards. I'm with you. And so I have a hard time like delegating a thing and then getting the help and then having to accept it and be cool with what I get. So I find that it's easier for me just to take on most things and then delegate the tasks to people once I have it set the way I prefer. And for better or for worse, I mean, that's just the way it ends up happening. I don't know. I have trust issues, you know? (laughs) No, I'm there with you for every bit of that. It's bad for me because like every time I set up or tear down from a show, somebody, a well-meaning comedian will come up and say, hey, can I help you? And I'm like, no, I got it. And it's not the fact that I don't want their help. It's that I don't think I can handle it. Like just the way you wrap up microphone cord. Yeah. Yeah. I want to do that. And I yeah. know what I'm doing. I know how high I want this band to raise. I don't want to explain it to you. Like, it's just a little bit easier if I do it. It might take three minutes longer, but I'll just do it. Sure. And then at the end of the day, you're just a little bit more exhausted, but like... <laughs> and as sick as it is, a little more resentful that they didn't help. I try not to be that way, but it's hard. So like this, this go around is like a bad... It's, uh, I had someone who was going to help me procure a sponsor and Alaska is a cannabis legal state. So yeah. uh, one of the best things is I can offer cannabis as a perk of my festival. I can say, hey, do you smoke? Are you 420 friendly? Awesome. In your swag bag is going to be like some really rad perks from our cannabis vendors. Um, there's a cannabis vendor right across the street from one of our venues. And we tried really hard to get them on as a sponsor. And I had a guy all in charge of that. But people have lives and people are busy. And uh, the pandemic especially has upturned a lot of things, especially in businesses. So I'm waiting and waiting and waiting to get these emails or messages or correspondence back saying that we've locked down the sponsor. And instead, I'm, I'm hearing nothing. I ask what's going on. Again, the status that they still like in this weird limbo of nothing is happening. So my brain kind of goes into overdrive. And I went out and found a different sponsor, did the whole thing, locked it down, procured it myself, made the deal. And then the day before I went to announce everything publicly with these logos in place, someone would come to me and they'd be like, hey, I finally got that sponsorship that you wanted. And it's like, oh man, where, where was the yeah. communication? You know, when you run a comedy festival, you get a really good view into why more comedians aren't more successful. It's not that they aren't funny. It's that there are different pieces of the puzzle that need to be implemented. And the ones who are really, really successful are firing off on like all the cylinders of like, just responding to emails or messages, but uh, life is overwhelming and it's weird. And just because people can't do it doesn't mean they aren't really funny comics. They are, but the ones who are like really crushing it are the ones who are funny. They can send emails, they can edit their own videos. You know, they're making their own content and everything. 
it's a lot to juggle. And so same thing on the festival side, it would be a lot easier for me to be able to delegate tasks to everyone and give everyone their own job. But then I have to be cool with the fact that they do it or they don't do it. And that's where I fall down. I'm not cool. (laughs) Can't be cool. I think for me, that lack of trust came from college because like I was a journalism major and I would be in charge of putting together a magazine and I do all the layout, but they would write the copy and then somebody wouldn't write something. I'm like, all right, well, I'll write that. Or somebody yeah. would sell an ad. I'm like, okay, well, I can't wait for that. And then somebody wasn't going to proofread. So I proofread. So I'm like, eventually I just did everything. And my yeah. professor was like, yeah, you got an A. I'm like, yeah, but so did they. And they didn't yeah. do anything. So No, but then that becomes a valuable lesson for them. That if they can coast long enough, someone will pull them through yeah. a thing. It's like, there's always so. going to be a group project. Yeah. I think that's why improv exists, you know? <laughs> yeah, but like I don't do improv, and that's probably no, why because I'm not. I don't want to depend on anybody else for anything. And it's- no, but then people like you and I are realistic because we're like, no, our brain doesn't have that capacity. Our brain is not built for that. Like it's uh, this idea of like fully grasping like what your brain is built to do because we don't really rely on the kindness of strangers. No, because in my experience, while some strangers are nice, most times they're incompetent. Or they don't do the work that I like. Yeah. Or even if they're not strangers, most of the time people, when they offer you help, are really only doing it because in some way it does benefit themselves. At least in my experience, especially from the festival viewpoint, a lot of people are only asking me for help right now or offering help because they would like something from me in return. And seeing as how I, at this moment, am controlling all of the spots and hosting availability, everyone wants to be my best friend. Like I have a comedian in town. I I have one. I have, I keep him in a box in my basement. No, there's a guy who's an open micer here who does not like me. We are not friendly, but friendly enough to host each other and like, you know, shake hands or whatever. But we do a Christmas photo every year where all the comics get together at JCPenney Portrait Studio and uh, we all take a group photo. And this year he kept calling me herpes like as a name. Oh, nice. Like, hey, herpes, how's it going? I thought, this guy wants to fight me and I'm going to fight him. I want to punch him in his dick. I hate him so much. And I had to confront him and be like, Hey, what the fuck? And he, you know, does the thing that all comics do when they get caught being a shithead. Um, they play it. I, man, I was just joking. These are just jokes. You can't take jokes, man. What kind of comic are you? If you can't take jokes. Come on. And then of course your comic brain goes into overdrive. Cause you're like, this is not jokes. You are a hack. This is a hack bit. I'm critiquing your hack bit. So now this guy is sniffing around my door because he wants to be part of things yep. has no concept of how our previous interaction may have tainted my ability to see his potential to help the comedy festival in any way. And I don't want to play favorites with people, but that shit does kind of add up. Like you can't go around shitting on people and then turn around and ask for something. It's a silly mindset. So now every time I get off stage, he shakes my hand or comes up to me. He's like, Hey man, good set. Cause it, they all want me. the festival ends on, April 10th. So April 11th, that guy's never going to talk to me unless he wants to be mean. So I don't know how to balance that kind of stuff. Like I'm just a very friendly person all the way around until I'm not. And once I get crossed, I don't really like welcome people back to the fold. And I think that goes a lot with the control thing. Once you've demonstrated to me that you're not valuable or not nice, then I don't want shit from you. I don't have any interest in helping you at all. Yeah, I, I get that a lot. That was really, it rang true during probably the first year of the pandemic where I, you know, I was booking so many rooms and then I booked nothing. 
And then I was like, oh, nobody has reached out yeah. to say hi. Or how, how are you doing, Mike? Like, no, but yeah. the minute, the absolute minute that I posted a photo about a show I was doing in April, I had four people say, hey, man, don't forget about me for your next show. I'm like, where were you? Yeah, that's one of the most toxic things in the comedy community. In the same breath that I say we're all really nice and we'll look out for each other when there's tragedy, there is also that side where it's like, well, who books that? What's going on? Who does? What what can I get from that? Who do I need to know? It's gross, but at the same time, uh, like I hope there's that balance. Like to me, you know, you know when Bob Saget died, people were not running around being like, this dude was the funniest dude of all time. He's very funny. What they were saying, though, is that he was really nice and nurturing and loving. And the guy really took care of everybody, like never really turned his back, even on like the smallest open micer. And that stuff is what people end up remembering. So those are some of my favorite people. Like Derek Sheen is one of the funniest, nicest dudes you will ever meet. That guy will literally like do anything for you. And he often needs help because he's having like a crisis or like there's shit going on. And people are often like very willing to just like drop whatever they're doing to like help. I think those are the relationships we should focus on cultivating. So comics listening, if you're one of those guys who's like, uh, hey, man, what kind of spot do you have for me? Make sure you circle back around every couple of weeks and check in with people. The comedy festival being called Alaska Before You Die is all about this idea of what are you going to do before you die? There's a lot of like suicide in our business. You know, a lot of people who just like check out mentally. And I feel like a lot of it is people feel alone. And we can help alleviate a lot of that just by like checking in on people. If you're going to hit somebody up for something that you want, at least circle back around to be like, hey, man, are you doing okay? What's going on? It means more than you think. It will also go a long way as far as like your comedy cachet goes, because then later on down the line, everyone will see you as a nice guy. And the, I think the the more you are willing to be nice and play the game, the more people are willing to help you in the long run. Well, and that's the thing. Like you mentioned the game and it is a game. As much as you have to be funny, you have to network. And you have to play well with others. And I know the person I won't book is somebody who doesn't get along with the rest of the comedians yeah. and who will make the show about him or herself. And I'm like, I have no patience for that because ultimately as a producer, I am booking my coworkers for the next 90 minutes. Yeah. I don't want to stand next to you for 90 minutes. I don't have to. So yeah. why, would I, why would I choose to do it? Yeah, that's a big philosophy of mine, too. Like, I go through painstaking lengths to vet every person that applies for the comedy festival. I ask for, like, every social media link. I ask for probably too much information. And it's because I am doing a white girl FBI-style deep dive on you and everything you've said. And I want to make sure that, like, the people I'm bringing up for this big party are fun and cool people. Like, no assholes allowed. Like, I don't want anyone who's going to, like, bring the party down. So it's a, it's a weird mix. Like, how do you find those people? And then I feel bad because sometimes I'll misjudge someone and I'm like, oh, I really pegged you as an asshole and I thought you were going to ruin things. But they end up being like really nice and on top of stuff. Like they're just very like curt. Or like this year, you know, I booked someone in 2019 to be on the 2020 festival. Festival falls apart. And then the pandemic happens and there's a lot of things politically and otherwise that are going on and social media is toxic in some places and it's like it, you could see where it affects people so i got a good i got to see where people were in 2019 and then go back and go through their stuff again and see where they're at now and some people had changed to where like i might not have wanted to book them because of the content of what they're talking about because they're trying to be on trend or whatever i don't really like a lot of like culture warrior kind of like i don't really want any shock jock shit like no provocateurism to a degree that isn't funny like uh 
I don't know. There's not, not there. Are, there is room for like a lot of political comedy here, but it's not really like what I'm actively booking. I just want the idea of like who's funny and let's get people to see them before they die. That's all. So if I'm applying to your festival, what should I do? Is that basically it? Just want funny, like all in out funny. It doesn't ma- really matter. Just a funny person who's kind of yeah. positive. Yeah, I yeah, and I man, I love negative assholes too because I'm one. So it's hard to like. <laughs> I don't know how to quantify it, and I think comics get hung up on festivals because they're afraid of what version of themselves to send to the festival. Because you know, each you're essentially sending not to this faceless organization of a festival, but to a specific booker or group of bookers who will look at your information. And it's handy to know who they are and what they like and what they're looking for. So for Alaska Before You Die specifically. I am looking for like unique perspectives, people who aren't out saying the same exact bits all the time. Like, you know, in this business, when things happen and you're writing jokes, there's like that first baseline joke that we would consider like the hack, like baseline. And then you have to kind of push through those thoughts to get through the, to the next bits of thought. So I'm looking for that. I'm looking for somebody who like sees beyond the obvious. And then really the package is just like, send in a clip, no more than 10 minutes. It doesn't have to be more than that. It shouldn't be, to be honest. Sometimes people shoot themselves in the foot by sending too much information. Like, I would have really loved you if I saw a three-minute clip or a five-minute clip, but now all of a sudden I want, yeef, this 10-minute bit is a little rough. So that's a word of advice. Someone sent a 27-minute special, comedy special that they taped in their basement, and I did not need all that. I did not need all that. And then this year I had people send in Zoom clips of them doing Zoom shows. Even that, the videos, it could be a whole different host of things. Like, And then for the festival, I book around people. I have a clean showcase option. And then I have like a really dirty showcase option. And I have like a different, uh, different thing for each. So I kind of will place people based on like what they might fit into best. So like a comic who's really dark and edgy, you know, I'm probably going to put them up at these like later shows. These, And then I've got some like TV ready comics who are really trying to get their five minute spot on a TV show. So then it'd be easier to put them on like a cleaner showcase. And then that way I'm servicing the community with more opportunities for shows. And then the comics don't have to worry about like, what version do I say? Am I too dirty? Am I too edgy? Yeah. Go send me the video about you licking buttholes. Like it doesn't matter. (laughs) I'm fine with it. And then this year I started offering this like kind of like review system where, you know, if you didn't make the cut for the festival, sends a long explainer as to like what what are the reasons why and here's a great article written by a comedian who talks about like why rejection doesn't always mean no why no is not always a rejection sometimes i'm just too full and i can't fit everyone and i'd love to and it's hard to hear that and not take it personally but it's true and so this year I, I went really out of my way to like make sure that the package of like rejection emails was nicely worded and it, it helped people understand that like this doesn't mean no forever it means i literally couldn't i had no space right. and then also if you wanted to um, for like a, a small fee, which is shitty on my part, but I'll get to why it's not in a second. For like five bucks, I'll send you a personalized email where I'll sit down and watch your video again and go through why, like what are the red flags that I saw that made me not interested or what could you do differently from my opinion? I'm no comedy coach or anything, but like this is just what I saw. Like, hey, move the mic stand or whatever it may be. And then, um, you know, all that money from that goes to support the festival. So all the submission money for my festival goes to pay for housing for the comics so that when they fly up to Alaska, they don't have to find an Airbnb for themselves and spend thousands of dollars just to come tell, you know, 20 minutes of jokes. And all the money that uh, gets raised by this, it just goes back into the festival fund. So like, it's, it seems shitty, like on paper to be like, yeah, well, here's, I'll charge for festival submission advice. 
but it's a valuable thing. It's going to help the rest of the comedy community. And then all the money I raised from that goes right back into support the festival. So, so you, I, don't know, I felt like it was helpful. I had a lot of people email me and say it was the nicest rejection letter they've ever gotten. And that, that felt <laughs> nice. So you've thought about pretty much every detail. I try to, yeah, from like a comedian's perspective. I feel like it's helpful for me to have been on the other end of things. Now, I'm not making the most money as far as comedy festivals go. And if you looked at it from a promoter or businessman's perspective, you'd be like, oh boy, wow, you are not doing this correctly. But it's because I'm really going out of my way to make it worth it for the comic because I know what it's like to fly into somewhere, do five minutes for fucking nobody and have the only people who show up be your Airbnb hosts because they were nice people. So like, it's, it's a bummer. I want everyone to just have a, a good time. So I'm like, how do you balance that? And then unfortunately, you can't include everyone. And then some people get all butthurt. I had a guy send me an email very upset because I didn't just let him be a headliner. And that's the thing about the festival too is mine is like anyone who wants to do it, headliners too, just submit. It's 20 bucks. And then all the money goes to the festival. I know 20 bucks is hard sometimes. But if someone emails me directly and says like, they want to, how do I skip the submission process? And just how do I get in? That rubs me so wrong. I hate it so much. And I don't know why I think there's this like air of like, well, I don't need to go through that process. I've already paid my dues. And guess what? In most, most uh, scenarios, you haven't. The, that guy hasn't. Like some guy emailed me and was like, hey, you need me on your festival because I was on the Jimmy Fallon show. And I was like, oh, the Tonight Show, big credits. That's very cool. I looked into him. He's not even a stand-up or a comic per se. He's a guy who made it viral out of a thing, then got put on the Tonight Show. And now he plays a melodica harp through his nose. Oh, and I need this melodica nose harp guy or my festival won't be shit, essentially, is what this email says. Well, may I ask you something? Do you already have one of those? No, I don't. But you know what? I, I we're doing pretty good without it. Oh, so. OK. All right. Well, all right. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. So then I, I politely emailed back. and was like, you know, no, thank you. Also, like, I don't really see where you're doing a lot of stand up right now. <laughs> like, I don't. If you can send me a comedy clip, that'd be great. And it's all just stingers from his bits on The Tonight Show. I love that. I, I while it, I do need that cachet of putting that little like NBC Tonight Show logo on all of my flyers, I don't need it so badly that I'm going to engage in like a weird power struggle with someone who doesn't understand the basic structure of what this is supposed to look like. Yeah. And on the other hand, you know, I've got people who they have comedy specials and they have, you know, they've been around for a while and they still submit because they know it's like that is the protocol. That's what you do. And ultimately, and sometimes. That, that yeah. $20 or whatever the fee is, that's going toward a good cause. And it's like everybody else is paying for your room and board then if you're not. Right. A lot of festivals can't say that. Like they can't say that where the money goes. And if it, you know, it goes into like promotions or whatever or paying fees. And it's like, I don't know how to undo the wrongs that like predatory comedians and promoters have done with like bringer shows or like specific comedy festivals that are really predatory where they just all it's just tourism they create a comedy festival because they know that you will come in there and pay them to do time like i just how do i stay as far away from that as possible i feel like comedy festivals are now shifting and it's becoming more about like a party atmosphere and about like how do we take care of the comics needs and make sure like everybody in the industry is good which and i think that's better yeah that's what it should be I'm not offering any industry. There's nobody in Alaska who's going to look at your, your spot and be like, you're, that's it, kid. You're on the Tonight Show. It's not happening. I have had offers for people to come up and look at people, but it all felt very predatory too. Like these, our agents are coming up to look at people to what? 
I don't want to be the conduit for that. This is not really what the Alaska festival is all about. Like before you die is more about like come up, drink a beer, uh, walk around in the weird uh, room that has all the underwear on the walls. Uh, <laughs> it's famous. Uh, see a bear, eat a hot dog. That was fun. And then, you know, try to climb a mountain in a suit after the show without falling down. Uh, it's, it's that kind of shit. The last comedy festival we did at the very end, I ended up going on like a helicopter ride on top of a glacier with a comedian from Las, uh, Las Vegas named Alex, just Alex. And he bought this huge helicopter ride and we went out, we were walking on top of a glacier, smoking a joint. I don't know any other comedy festivals where you can do that. <laughs> I've never heard one with a glacier. Yeah. Well, they should more, more comedy festivals should have glaciers in my opinion. Like they should really <laughs> be my big goal is what I want to do is they have boats that go out and go view the glaciers, watch them calve and fall down. And then they come back to town and I would love to be able to do half crowd, half comedians, and do comedy all the way out to the glacier on the boat, look at the glacier, ooh, ah, ah, and then comedy all the way back to shore while everyone's drinking and having a good time. So that's on my list of things to work out for the future. Do you remember the worst set you've ever had? The worst show? Oh, boy. I've had a couple really awful shows. Ugh. I did one once in Anchorage. It was for the Alaska Chamber of Commerce. So it was like a big corporate gig. And I did not set up the gig. I was just kind of like the sidekick. But I started off as a musical comic. So I would write like funny songs, not parodies, but more like a Stephen Lynch kind of Henry Phillips vibe. And so I got commissioned by a local comedian friend to help write a parody song of John Legend. Some John Legend's own, All of Me. But it's all about the Alaska State Chamber of Commerce and our economy. I should have said no right then and there. But I was like really friendly with this guy and I wanted the money. And I was like, oh, I've never done a big corporate gig at a hotel before. It should be really fun. It was fucking awful. They made me dress up like really fancy, like in a, like a ball gown almost to sing dick jokes, which was weird. And then they wouldn't let us drink when we got there. They had a full open bar that we could not drink at because they were afraid that we would get saucy and say something off script. So we were withheld from the alcohol. And then um, when I got there, the lady looked at me and said, is that what you're wearing? Ugh. And I was like, Oh boy, Hello. getting negged. I'm getting negged by the booker now. And then um, got up there and like, right. Oh, right before we went on stage, I was like, okay, so we're going to sing. And he goes, I'm not singing. My partner in crime was like, oh, I'm not singing. You will be doing all of the singing. And that was not what we had discussed. So immediately right before we did the bit, he realized the bit was awful and bailed on me. <laughs> so he did like three minutes of hosting while I awkwardly stood there with a guitar and then had to play the worst parody song I did not write to a crowd of like 500 people who blankly stared and groaned. You, there was audible groans. You could hear people just being like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> um and then I got off stage and I went to go get paid and go to the bar. And when I was at the bar, drinks were not free for me or any of the other performers. We had to pay for drinks. And then that's such a low key uh, Canadian right. complaint. So. We had to pay for alcohol. And then I went to get paid and they said, oh, yeah, the check will be in the mail four to five weeks. And I was like, wow, that was one of the worst. And then another one, the Iditarod here. Do you know what the Iditarod oh, yeah. is? Yeah, yeah it's a... Uh, fancy sled dog race and they end up every year in Nome. And this year is really ironic running the sled dog race. Cause you know, the first one was all about bringing uh, diphtheria serums to Nome to help out. So it was all about inoculating people 
in other cities. And now they're kind of like trying to make people get vaccinated here, but our vaccination rates are kind of low. So a lot of the mushers were like, we don't want to get vaccinated for the race that supports inoculating. <laughs> it's just the dumbest. But one year um, I went up to play like an after party because Nome gets very populated. People fly up from all over the world to do the race and to also be at that home base when people start coming in to finish. And they have a big finish line there. And they have like a, a speaker that they play uh, sounds and music on. And when the mushers come in, they make big announcements and everyone puts on their coats and they all rush out down to the street to watch the mushers come in. And I was slated to go up in the morning, like right when I got up, was about to get on my flight, the guy had just won the Iditarod. Like some dude swept in and won it with his dogs. And my flight got bumped because all of the people, the promoters and like or, um, the news people were all trying to get up there to check it out. So I had to wait. And when I got up there, finally, a lot of people had left. So I, I kind of missed my opportunity to play this big bumping party. And we were stuck up there for five days. And just it was awful because we weren't the only entertainment that was booked. There were two promoters that weren't speaking to each other. So it was like each of them booked a whole week's worth of entertainment. And we were all there together, awkwardly staring at each other, being like, are you? Are, and I'm a folk singer and a dirty comedian. And... They had one of those already. They had a, the most famous Alaskan folk singer, Hobo Jim, and then like another like dirty comedian lady. So I felt like I was rendered obsolete. And then um, somebody like stole, there was some, some, I had to send a box of stuff up there early and my flight got bumped. So when I got there, a lot of my shit was stolen and I had to get in like arguments with people. I've had shows where like, uh, I almost got like, you know, I've been sexually assaulted at shows by like headliners and promoters. Uh, being a female comic is fun. I'm trying heard. to stay away from that as like the worst show because it's not it's just a thing I have to fucking deal with. But yeah, when the guy from the BET comic special that you watched like 10 years ago, you're like, I love this guy as being a like, total creep to you. Oh man. It kind of so... makes it sad. Yeah. It's like you learn never to have heroes at that point. You're like, oh, they're all gonna be awful. That's why I never want to meet Mike Birbiglia. I'm afraid he'll Yeah. Oh, in his sleep, probably though. He's so nice. <laughs> oh, he seems yeah. so nice. But he's got the, the one time on, so it'll be fine. I had a bad show once that turned into like a great experience with, I was hosting Kevin Farley. And yeah, so I'm hosting yeah. the show and Kevin Farley's got a guy who he has feature for him, who I don't mean to tell tales out of school, but he's like, he's not the greatest person that you'd want to have. Cause he's, he's more focused on himself. Like he's not a very good feature to travel with because he's not really putting a lot of the shine on the headliner where it belongs. He's really just using it as a stepping stone to like build his own career. Um, so I'm watching him just totally just like eat shit. And then when Kevin Farley goes up the whole time, this guy's sitting in the front and is disrupting his own headliner show. He's like being shitty to his own friend. And it was really weird to the point where Kevin had to like yell at the guy to tell him to shut up or to like leave the room. And then security comes and they remove this guy who's like working on the show. It was really weird. But me and a girl uh, that worked there were sitting at the bar with them and people kept coming up to Kevin and they kept calling him Chris right to his oh, face. No. Over and over again. And especially like drunk local comic. Oh, Chris, I fucking love you, Chris. You're the best, Chris. And I felt so bad with this guy. And you could see it almost doesn't phase him anymore because it happens to him everywhere he goes. But it's just like his cross that he has to bear. And it sucks. And so he's very interested in talking to me about like the history of Anchorage and the town. So we get out of there. We get in my car and we're going to smoke a joint and drive down to his hotel. And the girl uh, who works at the club is with us. She's in the back seat. She's rubbing on his shoulders and kind of like kissing on him a little bit. And I'm like, hey, she's going to go with him up to his room and this guy's going to get lucky. Way to go, Kevin Farley. <laughs> and we're driving through the town and I'm kind of giving him the lowdown of what Anchorage is. And we pull up to his hotel 
And I'm like, oh, wow, yes, the Anchorage Historic Haunted Hotel. Did you know that your hotel was haunted? And without missing a beat, just wasted Kevin Farley turns his head and looks at me and goes, ugh, my life is haunted. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just one of the sweetest, most awful things. And then, you know, the next night, the next day I had to get him out of there and get him to the hotel or get him from his hotel to the airport. And his feature was nowhere to be found. He like just making him late, wasn't there. And I had to leave without him, got halfway to the airport. And the feature guy calls me and he's like, hey, you're going to come pick me up or what? Yeah. And I thought, oh, this is the last time this guy's going to tour with this. Like Kevin will never tour with this guy again. How could he afford to? And then like two years later, I see they're still working together. And it's like, you want to shake somebody and be like, no. Why? You're too good for this. Yeah, it makes you wonder how much more successful he'd be right now if he had somebody like actually like in his corner. But y'all never forget that. My life is haunted. <laughs> so fucking sad and awful and hilarious. When does the festival start? Is that the 6th? Yeah, it starts okay. April 6th and it goes five days until the 10th, which if you, six, the math doesn't add yeah. up. Stoners oh, are having yeah. a hard time with it. <laughs> so, but, uh, so what happens on the 11th? Do you just pass out? Oh my gosh. I wish, um, there's still comics in town hanging out. They'll be, so it's like when your friend's up for vacation and it's like, Hey, you want to go out? So even uh, the day after you can't just clock out, you kind of have to just hang. There's no shows or work to be done, but there's like hangs. And that's kind of nice. I'm pretty introverted extrovert. So I don't really hang, especially too much these days. Cause I've been paranoid about COVID. I live with my 95 year old grandmother And I've been trying to keep her alive for the last like 20 years. And uh, this year we've been, you know, really trying it. And (laughs) we're some of the only people in our area that I know that haven't got COVID yet. So I haven't either. And my 94 year old grandma, the only one around anymore. uh, She's she outlasts the other three. But we basically kept her in like bubbles. Yeah. Last two years. Yeah. We're like, okay, grandma, you don't go anywhere. We'll get everything for you. We'll take care of everything. You just stay inside. Yeah, that's what we do. And then my, now my grandmother doesn't want to leave the house anymore. She's like, fuck it, you got to drag me out of here. I am not leaving. <laughs> hate it. Uh, she hates people now, too, which is nice. She used to really like people. Now she's like anti-human. She truly thinks shit's gone to hell. But she uh, has been very supportive of me and all my comedy stuff. When I got trapped in Pennsylvania, my relationship kind of broke apart. And I was like, what do I do? And I would have to move to a new scene and start over in a a place where I didn't know anyone or moved back to Alaska. And she helped me like finance my way back. I left Pennsylvania because we were living in a house that got struck by lightning and caught on fire. Holy shit. And I thought, well, that's God saying uh, you should probably get the F out. I don't even believe in God, but I did then. I was like, oh man, the universe is telling me some shit. So are you happy in Alaska? Are you going to stay there for a while? Um, I like it here. When I moved to Pennsylvania and came back, I was like, oh, wow, uh, there's no people. There's clean air. There's clean water. I think I'm probably going to die here. But like, not in like that old age way. Like you're probably going to die like surrounded by your family, right. you know, like holding your hand as you slip away peacefully into the universe. And I'm going to die in like that revenant way where I get mauled by a bear and then shot in the <laughs> face by Tom Hardy or whatever. But it'd be fun. It's it's hard to leave. It's like once you get locked in, you, like even people who visit, you know, like uh, the Buffalo Boys we were talking about, yep. they're coming back to double dip on a second. But they were one of like, I think I had nine or 10 people ask to come back and do the festival again because it's like addictive almost. Like once you do it once, you want to come back and, and keep going. And then if you stay in Alaska too long, you get fucked up. You will be stuck here. Like you'll be trapped. You can't leave. Like I said, my parents love it. If, yeah. if they didn't have grandkids, I think they'd be living out there right now. 
Although right now, probably not the best because, you know, Putin wants everything back. So Alaska, you got to watch out because uh, we used to be Russia and they're not stoked on it. Maybe I can get my parents to move out there now. I'll just I'll just uh, hope they don't know about the Ukraine war or anything. Yeah. Well, now it's like peak expensive, too. So now is a great time to move to Alaska because everything costs way too much. Uh, and then also the weather is changing because global warming is, I hate to say it, indeed very real. Just live in Alaska for like 10 years and you'll see the change. Like I've, I have pictures of my family standing on a glacier and now you can't even see the glacier from the street because like it's receded so far back. And that's just my lifetime. I'm only 36. So like you live here for a little while, you get to see the ramifications of climate change. But I mean, it's kind of warm in the summertime now. It's nice. <laughs> well, it was amazing talking to you. I, I had a lot, a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Of course. Uh, best of luck with everything. Do you do you want to plug anything else like social media? I mean, the the site or the. the oh my god, no! Don't don't follow me. Uh, I don't. I'm one of those <laughs> comics that doesn't tweet. I don't. I have zero funny content out there. I like gave up on making content because it was emotionally crippling, especially once people started calling it content. I was like, ah, this is what it really is to you people. Then yeah. isn't it? And so I just can't. It's emotionally crippling. And then I tweet too much, but only about politics. So do not follow me because we will end up fighting about something, I'm sure. But yeah, this is the festival. If you are a comic who doesn't live in Alaska and you are interested in coming here, submissions will open at the beginning of September 2022. So just go to alaskabeforeyoudiefest.com and check it out. It's B with the number four because there was an Alaskan ad campaign where we put big billboards in every other state with a license plate that said before you die to drive people to come to Alaska. So my festival branding is based off of that old ad campaign. I thought, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I'm stealing it. <laughs> Works uh, for me. I remembered so, it. Yeah. And we don't have billboards in Alaska because our scenery is too pretty. We're too pretty. Uh, you guys can cover up all your trash freeways with your billboards, but uh, we got yeah. mountains and shit. So. I've seen the postcards. I know how pretty Alaska is. But, you know, it's weird when you live here so long, you get like over it. You're like benign to it. So like every time you wake up or close your eyes, there is a Bob Ross painting outside your window. And I, I could care less. I really am like completely dead inside when it comes to beautiful nature shit. But when I go to when I go to Cleveland and I see like a crackhead on the street, I get so stoked. I'm like, there, there's cities and everything's made of concrete. This is the best. <laughs> Fast food. I love to travel around and eat different fast foods because we don't have, we only have certain ones. So, you know, a rallies or like the shenanigans or like I had to, I went on a tour with Keith Bergman all across the South and every state line, I was like, what the fuck is a Shoney's? I don't even know what Shoney's is. I think it starts in West Virginia so, and then goes down. That's, I had the, one of the worst gigs on that tour because I was just sad and lonely missing all my friends. I mean, 21 days in a car with Keith Bergman across the South. The best, but I got so lonely that I was just crying until I bought myself a leisure suit and a 10-piece McNugget meal from McDonald's, and then I was back in the game, baby. <laughs> a leisure fucking, suit? Yeah, we was stopped in Tennessee and did a house gig at a, a guy's house. I ended up like hooking up with a dude who ended up being like an Australian millionaire guy. This story just deserves like a whole like documentary. I hooked up with him in Dayton, <laughs> but I got too drunk to hook up with him. I ended up like drinking too much at the show took me to his hotel i puked all over his floor peed myself in his hotel room and this nice gentleman made sure i got home safe drank water and didn't hurt me in any way so that was very nice so then that guy said you know we didn't get to hook up how about i follow you and i drive to tennessee and i'll just take my flight out of there drove followed me you know two states down to tennessee and then where we hooked up 
And I found out that he was like a fucking like shell. Like he owned like a bunch of shell companies that were buying and selling other companies, but he had just got off a punk rock cruise. So he's wearing a dead Kennedy's t-shirt with black fingernail polish. Very unassuming millionaire. Uh, super nice. And then it's just like wild, all the shit that can go down on tour. Yeah, but I bought myself a leisure suit in Tennessee and it really improved my mood. So if you're sad and lonely on the road, uh, and then Mary Santora, good friend of mine, was like, hey, you're really sad. And I've uh, done this exact same run with Keith. So I know how hard it is. Here's 50 bucks. Get yourself a steak dinner and a drink and get unsad and don't quit. And that's the kind of shit that like female comics are really out here helping female comics. Let me tell you, because I almost had a nervous breakdown on the floor of a red roof inn. But Mary, Mary saved me. And then, you know, same thing. If when she's feeling sad, I'll do the same thing. Like, bitch, here's 50 bucks. Go get your nails done. Shut up. Get back on the road. <laughs> and now she's crushing it. I want to write your life story. Yeah, it's uh, it's wild. I want to start a podcast because I just found out some wild stuff about my family history, my DNA. Like, you know, I might be like related to like an Indian princess. And I got an uncle who mysteriously disappeared, but the family thinks is murdered. And the person we think murdered him was his wife who may have murdered other people. And I got a lot of projects. That I'm like, oh, those would be good podcasts. And then I've never pursued it. You absolutely should. Yeah. We find I I'm try I did slowly start investigating the murder, but I don't know if you've ever done any citizen investigating. No, it's no. really hard emotionally, especially when the person is your in your family. And my family is very secretive. But I had a dream and in the dream it was like, go to this house and find this thing. And I woke up like, why did I have to go to my uncle's house? So I went out there and found some stuff. And then I had another dream and they were like, talk to these people because soon they won't be here. And I was oh, like, God. that's weird. So then I had a, that dream and I woke up and I was like, I got to interview these people about this disappearance. And then within a month from starting these projects, two of the people I was supposed to talk to were dead. Holy shit. Because of not COVID related things, but illnesses they had. But, you know, COVID made it difficult. And so it just, it was their time. I don't know what made me do this. I've always had some kind of like precognitive dreams and feelings like that. It's a little weird. So I'm like, you know, what do you do when some ghost tells you to go investigate a murder? So now right. my garage is full of uh, paperwork and like evident, physical evidence I've gathered. And I've been trying to talk to the cops about it and stuff. But cops in Alaska are not interested in helping you find missing people. <laughs> They're not. That should be like the number one job. Well, people come here to disappear is what they say. Ah, got it. So he just doesn't want to be found. And meanwhile, I've got like evidence that he was murdered because of the money that he had, but there's no body. So we can't prove it was a murder, but we can't find the body because of the work that the cops fucked up. So it's like, we're in this weird catch 22. And you know, when cops mess up a thing, they don't really come out and say they messed up. They kind of just like, let it lie. So it's an open case that I can't get any information on because they won't allow it. Um, But they won't investigate it any further because they're not interested in knowing what really happened. I like how like, like we talked so much about the festival and and you and the comedy. And now I have this very interesting bit at the very end of the podcast. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, all right, how do I say goodbye? Okay, okay, then you're going to talk. <laughs> now you, you branched off into like four different podcasts. It's like, this okay, is why, go? I know, this is why like all the local comics don't ever ask me how I'm doing <laughs> because they know it's just going to be the most shit. Like no one ever wants to be like, hey, how you doing? Because then it's like four hours of like, okay, oh boy, oh geez. <laughs> But it's not boring. So you're like, okay, in which direction should I go? Yeah. The, and then don't even get me started on the genealogy stuff because I had to do a bunch of Googling. And then I found now I'm a historian because I had to look up what the Dakota War of 1812 was all about or 1862. You know, multiple people who die in a war. And you're like, well, now I got to look into that shit. 
So I'm hoping that someone who has a history podcast just wants to interview me so I don't have to create the whole infrastructure of an actual <laughs> podcast. It's too much work. Ugh. Amazing. Well, I got to end it now before we go into another tangent. Please. <laughs> but thank you so much. It was so fun meeting you. And yeah, thanks. Be- thanks. Best of luck with everything. Uh, treat the Buffalo guys all right. Maybe they'll come back. For yeah, time. they're the best. Yeah, I, I fucking hope so. I hope everyone just keeps coming. Like once a year, let's just keep making like a big party out of it. And then as long as people are willing to come, I'm willing to host the dumb, weird party we're going to have. So I can't wait to hear all about it. Yeah, you have to come check it out. Fair enough. I'll do it. Uh, cool. Well, thanks for having me, Mike. Of course. All right. Thank you so much and best luck. And I'll talk to you in a bit. Yeah, thanks. Peeling back my sunburnt skin. I'll wait outside your bedroom. I hope they let me in.